Good morning, ABC family. My name is Gerald Haugen, and I have the privilege of serving here as discipleship pastor at Atascadero Bible Church. We're glad you're tuning in with us today. There are a couple of ways that I want you to know that you can grow in Christ. We do take your growth in Christ very seriously here. And two that I want to highlight are one, participating in our church ministries, and two, that you can serve on some of our service teams. So first, we want you to know that on August 8th, we'll be having a ministry fair here on campus. That's a time where you can come and walk around, go from table to table, and see all of the ministries that we're offering and see what might fit for you. Secondly, I want you to be aware of some service opportunities. You can grow by serving on our kids' ministry team. They're coming back to do two services on a Sunday very soon, and we need volunteers to make that happen. We also have room on our tech team and on our guest services team. So if any of this sounds like it might fit your skill set or your gifting, please contact the church office by emailing us at mail at abcchurch.org. We're so glad you're tuning in. We're so glad ABC is your home. And we hope that you have a great Sunday and a great week. Welcome. It's great to have you with us today as we continue in our uh, series in the book of Philippians. Uh, it was the summer of 1975. I remember a lot of things about that because it was right before my senior year of high school. And that summer was, uh, was a lot of fun, did a lot of great things that summer. And I can remember the song that War put out. Do you remember the name of the song that War put out on that summer, 1975? That's right. Why can't we be friends? And I don't remember a lot about that song other than just the song itself in terms of the one line of the song, which is pretty much the whole song as far as I remember. It kind of went like this. Why can't we be friends? 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 Now, maybe some of you know the rest of the song. That's all I remember about the song. And as far as I remember about that song, it never really gave an answer to why can't we be friends. I think it had something to do with breaking up and that kind of thing uh, in a relationship. But the answer, why can't we be friends, never comes in the song, at least as far as I remember. Fortunately, not so with the Word of God, because God gives us an answer of why can't we be friends? And basically, God says you can be and you should be. And so that's what we want to talk about today. God has called us to relationships. And uh, God has actually said to us who are followers of Christ that we are also to be ministers of reconciliation. Um, you know, when we talk about reconciliation in terms of relationships, it's perhaps one of the most overlooked, undervalued issues in the church today. And yet, it's not possible to overstate how important this actually is. Um, unfortunately, it's not always possible to be friends. It's not always possible to reconcile a relationship, even though we want to. But we're called to try. And so I want to ask you a question today. Are you in conflict with someone today? Um, what kinds of efforts have you made to resolve that particular conflict? And I know that it gets tricky, it gets challenging, there's, there's reasons, you know, that you may find that you are in a conflict, and you might say it's not possible to resolve it and all, and so 
We would like to talk about that today based upon this passage of scripture. As we turn to our text today, we have two gals that are in conflict. Um, we don't know a lot about the history of the conflict, the nature of the conflict, those kinds of things. Uh, so uh, in some ways that's helpful because the application for us can be perhaps even a little bit broader. But what he says here to these two who are in conflict, he says, I urge each of you to be reconciled to the other. Um, so let's take a run at this, okay? Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So here is the Apostle Paul. He, he says, you know, um, again, he's talking about his own personal joy in them and their lives, the relationship that he has with them. And then he calls these two out by name. <laughs> Boy, this is a tough one in some ways, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine, you know, if you happen to be one of the two of these women that were in conflict and this letter comes to the whole congregation and you are named in the letter uh, for that conflict that you're in? How would it make you feel, you know? Here we are 2,000 years later talking about these ladies that had a conflict in the church. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to all of us? Uh, and, and so here's this situation that they're, that they're in. And and Paul is imploring them uh, to, to be reconciled in this relationship for the sake of the church, for the unity of the church. And uh, that's so critically important. In fact, when you look at the different authors of the New Testament who've written, uh, Peter, uh, John, um, Paul himself, and then Jesus' words being quoted, unity is important. In fact, perhaps the most famous passage on unity is found in John chapter 17. Verse 20, and, and it says this, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. Jesus is praying to God. And this is what he prays in verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and me and I in you, so that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent us. Jesus praying specifically for those who would believe in his name later, us, followers of Jesus, that we would be united just like Jesus is united with God the Father. This concept of unity is so critically important to the church that Jesus prayed that for his followers. And then each of the New Testament writers address this specific issue. That's why I say it's such a critically important issue that we must deal with. Um, we begin today uh, by saying this, harmony is beautiful. Living in one accord, that's what God wants to see from his people. That's what God wants in your life. He wants harmony. He wants you to live in one accord. When we think of harmony, even the word itself, obviously for many of us, we immediately think about the musical context of that. Uh, and, and it's amazing to me through the years, having been in church for so many years and and uh, worship is a huge part of our experience. When we have gifted singers, you know, who have the ability to, to sing, not only, uh, you know, uh, 
the melody, but also to harmonize with one another. It adds a texture, it adds a flavor, and, and it can be a beautiful thing. I'm always amazed <clears throat> at, because I've, you know, I like to sing. I'm not very good, even though that first part of my singing was outstanding. I, I think we can all agree on that. But if you want me to sing it again, I can sing it again. Why can't we be friends? But anyway, so, but I've always been challenged with actually singing harmony, you know, trying to sing harmony, because sometimes I try, you know, in a big room, you know, when people are singing in worship, you can try to sing harmony. And sometimes you think, man, I'm terrible <laughs> at singing harmony. Some people, it's just like they were born to sing harmony. I always think of the person, Lorraine Halderman. Uh, you know, Lorraine and I have been friends since we came. Gail and I came to church here, and, and she was on the early worship teams with Dave. She was a part of uh, uh, helping transition our church from the traditional hymns and things to a more contemporary style of worship even over 30 years ago back then, so uh, almost a martyr uh, trying to do that. Those were hard transitions. But I was always amazed at her ability just to be able to sing a harmony. Just, and I asked her, I asked her husband recently, I said, how is it that she can do that so well? And he goes, oh, she and her sisters used to sing all the time together, and it just comes naturally to her. Isn't it interesting how being in a family even and, and all and learning how to, quote, sing together is beautiful, it, and it gives you a capacity. I believe that's what God wants for his church, for his church family, that, that we would be able to harmonize, that we'd be able to sing together in that sense, and it's beautiful. You know why? Because when we contrast that with disunity, it's ugly. It really is ugly. And so what God wants from his people is beauty. What God wants in your experience, in your life, is, is beauty for you, harmony. Uh, not the disunity and the ugliness that comes as a part of it. We are a part of a community as followers of Christ, as Christians. We're this holistic community. And, and, and as I mentioned, you know, um, a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about getting past the past, the whole point of that sermon was is that we are fallen individuals, right? We live in a fallen world. People hurt people. If you're going to be in a relationship, inevitably you're going to get hurt. How do you get past being hurt, okay? Um, what you do is you learn to forgive, okay? And it's a, it's a decision, you know, the Bible, when Paul's writing that, he talks about forgetting. And I say, well, what do you do when you can't forget? Because we can't forget. No, we choose to forgive. That's the whole point. When you're in relationship in a holistic community, um, you are called to be a part of this reconciling, healing movement of God in your own life and the lives of others. We are called to restore those who have fallen in sin. Who's fallen in sin? Everybody. We are be a part of the holistic effort to help people who have fallen in sin. We're called upon in Galatians 6.1 to do that. In Galatians uh, 6.2, it says that we're to bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? That means that, that we're called to show up. When, when people are hurting, when people are struggling, it, it's the ministry of presence that we would be there with, with people. And, and sometimes when it's very severe, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and, and, and it's, it's kind of show up and shut up. You know, Sometimes it's not our words. We don't have to say anything. It's just, in fact, it's more effective just to be there and just say, I'm sorry. I'm here for you. Let me be here with you. It's this idea of bearing one another's burdens 
And then the Bible talks about the fact that in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we're to admonish the unruly, encourage those who are faint-hearted, those who are struggling, help the weak. And then I love this, be patient with everyone. What, what's the secret sauce in all of this? You know what it is? Many times, patience. Just hanging in there with people. Um, and so here we have this, this disunity that was threatening the church's unity. It needed to be taken seriously. It needed to be confronted. He takes it so serious that he actually names them to their chagrin, I'm sure. And so we need to understand that uh, this is not unique to this first century church in Philippi. This is our experience as well. Um, and in this instance, these were influential people. And so the church was really at risk. Secondly, we'll, we'll say this, harmony is hard. Harmony is hard. Uh, the Bible says that we're to take the decisive action uh, when it involves disunity. Um, in other words, we're to move decisively and we are to move quickly to resolve conflict. Unfortunately, the longer it goes, the conflict remains unresolved, the worse it gets the harder it ultimately is to resolve. In, in Ephesians 4.3 and in Colossians 3.14, it says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. When Paul writes this, he says, I urge you. He repeats that twice in, in a few short verses. In other words, Paul's saying this. In the literal translation, you could say it this way. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Please resolve this issue. That's how serious he is. It is a big deal. And yet so many of us act like it's not a big deal in terms of the conflict, that we want to sweep it under the carpet. We want to pretend it doesn't exist. Um, when Jesus was talking about uh, the issues of the heart, one of the issues that he dealt with was the issue of anger. And you'll remember in, in Matthew 5, 21, you've heard it said, and and everybody would agree with this, do not murder. We could all agree, yeah, yeah, murder's a bad thing. Anyone who is a murderer is subject to judgment. But then Jesus raises the stakes here. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And he goes on and he says, if you call your brother Raka, you know, he says they'll answer to the Sanhedrin. If you say, you fool, okay, you'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Why is it that Jesus takes anger here, okay, well, as, a, as an issue and compares it to murder in a sense? Obviously, they're different. Murder is far worse than, than anger itself. But Jesus is trying to make a point. When we get hurt in interpersonal relationships, so many times it goes to anger. Where does anger go? Anger goes to bitterness. Where does bitterness? Bitterness goes to wrath. Ultimate manifestation of wrath, murder, all right? Uh, premeditated in that sense, this idea of you're so angry, so upset that you would take such a, an action as to take the life of somebody else. Now, most of us say, well, that's far too extreme. I would never do anything like that. But here's the thing that Jesus understands. The issue of the heart has to be resolved earlier. So much so that he goes into verse 23 of Matthew 5, following up on this concept. Therefore, if you are offering your gift, now this comes right on the heels of this anger thing that seems so extreme. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and therefore, altar, therefore remember your brother has something against you. Leave your gift at the altar, in the front of the altar. Go first, be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer your gift. Settle matters 
quickly with your uh, adversary. We can relate to this, by the way. You know, it's like being at the grocery store and being in a long line and you get to the front inevitably. How many times has this happened to you where you get near the front of the line and you have this realization that you forgot something? And then you're faced with that, that, that question. Okay, so do I get out of line? Do I go back and get it and get back in this line again? Or can I live without it? I mean, you know, you know can I come back another day? I can tell you this, I'm going to live without it. If I've been in line that long, I'm not getting back in the end of the line again. I'm just far too impatient for that. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Hey, you get to the front of the line. You actually leave your offering at the front. You waited through the whole line. You, this is how important it is. You leave your offering there at the front, and you go be reconciled to your brother. Do it quickly. You've waited far too long already. Do it quickly. That's how important this concept is, that we should be reconciled. Because if we don't, look what happens, Ephesians 4.26, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your, uh, while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Because unresolved conflict gives Satan an opportunity. Hebrews 12.14, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And then look what it says, that no root of bitterness spring up causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. This unresolved conflict that leads to anger in our lives becomes a root of bitterness. It gives the devil an opportunity, and it literally defiles us and causes all kinds of trouble. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Talked about this two weeks ago. The fact that we are to, to not allow for the bitterness to take hold in our lives. How do we do that? We are to be forgiving of one another. That's God's remedy to this. And again, we talked about that before, but that's how important this is. All right. You don't want to give the devil an opportunity in your life. Third, conflict is Satan's secret weapon. I believe that his number one tool to rob Christians of joy, to, um, to defile churches in that sense, is personality conflicts. Um, the number one threat to missionaries is the missionary team and conflict within the team. And there was story after story, but very effective ministries and missionary, uh, missionaries as well that have, have been involved in conflict and for whatever reason that wasn't resolved. And as a result of that, their ministry was impacted very negatively. Uh, the church faces a lot of external enemies, it really does. Uh, but infighting among members shouldn't be a part of that. And that's why uh, Paul is addressing this so deliberately. In fact, we get hints of it in, in chapter 1 of Philippians in the, in the letter. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Go to chapter 2. 
chapter 2, verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in one spirit, intent on one purpose. Uh, and, and, then, and then he goes on. He says in verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. There's something he has in mind, I believe. He was setting himself up for dealing specifically with this issue now between Iodia and Syntyche. Um, we have to kind of speculate because we don't really know exactly what was going on with them. Um, we know a few things. We, we know that um, they were church members. Uh, we don't have any reason to believe that somehow they were troublemakers or they were coming from the outside. Uh, we know that it likely wasn't a doctrinal issue. Had it been a doctrinal issue, Paul would have called that out specifically with an instruction doctrinally. He doesn't do that um, because, um, you know, we would have seen him address it biblically in that sense. Um, they were prominent women in the church. We know that. They were respected by the congregation, well-known in the entire congregation. Um, and so the challenge that they had, though, is because very likely they were prominent women in the church, what it does is it causes people, it, in a sense, it forces people to choose sides. And that's the, that's the challenge. If you're a friend of the individual in a conflict, sometimes, you know, I, I know people often say, well, I'm not going to choose sides here. Sometimes by not choosing a side, you've estranged yourself from both of those people as well. Nobody wants to choose sides, but people do based upon friendship and all of that. The result of it very clearly is that there is disunity in the church. And he says to them, live in harmony. Live in harmony. Don't make people, don't put a people in a position, the awkward position of having to choose sides. There's nothing worse than that. I've seen it time and time again. Sometimes we can say this, conflict is unavoidable. Is there an acceptable time for conflict? And I would answer that, yes, absolutely there is, when truth is on the line. Um, we have that clearly. Um, even the Apostle Paul in Galatians says, you know, one time I had to call out Peter, uh, Cephas is, is what he calls him there, and, and Antioch, and I came and I posed him to his face because he, he needed to be a, it was a specific issue as it related to the, the Jews and the Gentiles, and, and uh, Paul had to call them out. And, and first, or actually third John, so the apostle of love, John, is writing these letters in his third letter. He calls out an individual, uh, Diopatris, and he, 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 he literally says to him, he says, you know, his, his deeds, he calls them out for his deeds. He says, you're unjustly accusing us. You're using uh, wicked words in, in that, uh, and, and he calls him out specifically by name uh, as well. So there are times when conflict is unavoidable, but uh, it's, usually, it's, it's, it's literally over the issue of truth okay, the, the, and, and doctrine in that sense. But sometimes conflict needs outside help. That's our final point here. Personal conflicts are not always able to be resolved by the individuals themselves. And so here we have this, this intervention that's taking place. Um, when Paul writes to the first Corinthians chapter one, verse 10, he writes and he says, now I exhort the brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete of the same mind, the same judgment. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, uh, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. 
this idea of being able to come to some sort of agreement together, being united together is something that the Lord was calling for. This serious disagreement that they were having uh, needed some outside help. Um, apparently, the elders were not able to resolve this. People were aware of it for whatever reason. I don't know if the elders chose not to get involved or if they tried and, and were not successful. Uh, many times in churches, you know, frankly, elders kind of get over their heads sometimes. You know, in other words, it's hard problems. Uh, they're maybe not well equipped to deal with those kind of interpersonal problems. So sometimes it takes intervention of, a, of another level. Uh, ideally, elders can handle it for whatever reason. It doesn't seem uh, that they did. And so Paul is now uh, imploring that this individual, by the way, whom we don't know, <laughs> we don't know who it was that he's calling upon because he, he intervenes with a third party. And uh, when, he, when he's talking to these two women, he asks for, um, for some help for them to resolve this conflict. Um, let me just say this. These women were, um, were significant women in the church for a lot of reasons. Um, they were very likely there when the founding of the church, so they experienced Paul. They knew Paul. They knew that he had founded the church. Uh, very likely they had seen uh, Lydia's conversion or were very aware of Lydia, who was, was very supportive of the Apostle Paul uh, financially and other ways. Uh, they had seen Paul's encounter with that fortune-telling, demon-possessed girl from Acts chapter 16, uh, that they had cast out the demon. Well, the result of that was that this group of people had lost their revenue-producing person, this young demon-possessed girl that was a moneymaker for them. And as a result of that, they, they uh, conspired to get Paul beaten and thrown into jail. There was an earthquake that came that released them. Uh, all kinds of things were involved in that. Uh, you know, they found out that they had wrongfully beaten the Apostle Paul, who was a Roman citizen, and, uh, and you know, they begged, you know, Paul to leave. And so, bottom line is, Paul left Philippi. All of these things that they had witnessed, okay, these two women had witnessed, and they saw the founding of the church, the trials of the Apostle Paul, the support of Lydia for the ministry, all of these things. I think what Paul's trying to, to say to them is, you know, you were there with me. You were there in thick and thin. Let's not allow this conflict to destroy something so powerful that God is doing in our midst. God has worked miracles, including an earthquake, deliverance from the apostle Paul out of, out of prison and all of these other things. You women, you are faithful. You are dedicated. You are being used by God. Don't be so selfish as to allow this conflict to derail all that God is doing. Sometimes good people need help. And so Paul calls on an individual. Again, we don't know who it was exactly. Some people say it could have been Luke because he says, my beloved. In that sense, in other words, it was, uh, you know, uh, my true companion, you know, um, uh, it could have been, it could have been uh, Luke, but we, we don't really know who it is. But he, in, he invites that person to help resolve this conflict. Again, Jesus in Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. And in verse 3 of chapter 4 of Philippians, here's what it says, I ask you to help these women who have shared in my struggle for the cause of the gospel. Good women, 
shared in the struggle, everything that I've just listed, they saw all of that. Their names, without a doubt, are written in the Book of Life. They're Christians. They're Christian women who need a restored relationship, who've been hurt, who have gotten off track. Friends, we're real people. <laughs> no matter how sincere we are, no matter how dedicated we are, we can get into a, a difficult situation with others. You might be listening to this today, and you're in a situation like that. Your destiny, heaven. You're going to live with that person forever for eternity. If you're in conflict with that person right now, that prospect probably doesn't seem too good to you. But God wants you to resolve it now, to not wait, to do your best. It's not always possible to resolve it, but to the best of your ability, God wants us to be at peace with all men. Um, you know, Paul doesn't berate these women. Um, he holds them up as an example to the church of how valuable they are to the church. And in essence, he's saying the church needed them. And I would just say this to you. The church needs you. The church needs all of us. The church needs all of us at our best, being our best, living in harmony, to be able to accomplish those things that God is calling us collectively to do together. And if you are in conflict today, I would say this. Leave your offering right there at the altar and go make peace, just like Jesus said with that individual, to the best of your ability if you, if you can. Uh, if you're aware of someone that you care about and you love about and you know they're in an ongoing conflict, as hard as it is, maybe God is calling you to be that peacemaker, to intervene, to step in like Paul employed, implored this individual. Again, we don't know who it is to, to step in and help these ladies resolve this conflict. Sometimes we need help. And uh, if you're in a situation you feel like maybe you do need help, then you know what? Call on the elders. Call on a pastor. Call on a counselor. Get somebody in there to help arbitrate even the, the, the situation that you might be in. Um, God is so honored and so glorified when Christians live in harmony uh, together. And Paul is calling for that unity and for that harmony because the cause of Christ will go forward. Uh, you are essential to the body of Christ. And what God wants is beauty in the church. And beauty comes from harmony. And it, it takes hard work. Uh, we don't want to fall into the, the, the hands of the devil, right? We don't want to allow for a root of bitterness to defile us or defile our church. Uh, Satan literally is, is, is crafty. And he can use this as a major tool to derail a great ministry, a great life, and including your life. Uh, let's pray. Father, again, uh, we're, we're so grateful for your word. Uh, even this short passage of scripture that we look at today um, regarding these two gals that, that were in conflict and uh, how, how damaging that can be. Lord, these are real people who really love you who, who got in trouble because of, uh, of very likely a hurt, maybe a misunderstanding. Uh, Lord, we all have that experience. We've all been hurt. We've all felt misunderstood. Um, Lord, if you're speaking to our heart right now uh, to go ahead and go the extra mile, to make the effort, to try to resolve a conflict and maybe even solicit help from the outside as well to, to, to do so. 
when a church works through hard issues like this uh, and does so successfully, there is beautiful harmony that comes and, and unity. And as Paul said, it brings him real joy. And, and I can just say, Lord, as a leader of a church, I've been overjoyed many times when I've seen estranged relationships reconciled because, Lord, then you're glorified in that. And so we pray that might be true for us. Give us the strength and the power we need to navigate through difficult, real-life relationships. And, Lord, we will give you the glory as you do so. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we say, amen. Amen. God bless you, and I hope this was helpful for you today.